0: For a society to work well, at certain points, it is important that people in that society are willing to take risks, because there are times in life where you have to take risks. But for a society to be stable, there is a place for people being risk-averse, where you don't just take stupid risks and ruin everything that you have built. If we break a society down to its unit, which is the individual, one human being as I am, I cannot be a person that that loves taking risks. At the same time, be someone that is averse to taking risks.
1: Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Conversations with me, Manuel. In this episode, I speak with Sam Oyanyinka, who is a medical doctor and a minister in the church in Nigeria. Our conversation was largely about religion, science, politics, philosophy, masculinity and many other interesting stuff. I really hope you find this conversation useful. Before we delve in, I just want to apologize that in daily parts you're going to hear the voice of a baby. I hope that it's not so distracting, but I assure you that the content is quite useful. All right, so maybe we'll start by you just giving a brief uh, background of who you are. My name is Dr. Sam,
0: I'm a medical doctor.
1: I work in
0: uh, health management in Nigeria. I am a minister. I used to be the senior pastor of the um, Ibado branch of our church. Uh but I then I relocated and um came down to Lagos and I've been serving as an associate to um the founding pastor of my church um, globally I've serving as the as an associate to them uh, here in Lagos. Um what else? I'm very interested in um history and philosophy, uh and theology, I mean, I'm not I don't have any um hard training in those subjects. I just love to follow them a bit, and as much as my, um, my uh, academic or how would I call it, that, as, as much as my, 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 what you call a modest intellect can, can accommodate, that's what I imbibe. And um, it helps me have the a, a satisfying and coherent view of the world around me.
1: I see that you have the medical, the philosophy, the theology part and all that. I mean, it'll be quite interesting to look at a couple of that. But first, I don't know your side of medicine have you had any contact with covid patients you know so
0: i work in health management right so um, i work in health management i work in a hmo well that's um if that's a kind of health insurance health management organization and uh, where we help um people and companies try, um, get connected to hospitals by um you know doing health insurance and all that so i'm actually in health management now so I've not had any frontline. line, um, I've not had to have any frontline line um, interface with uh, yeah. sick people, so to speak. So, yeah, not, not all doctors are clinical. Some doctors leave medical school and go, go into health management, public health. Some leave it all together. So I'm one of those guys that um, went into health management.
1: So have you always wanted to? not be in the clinical part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in
0: medical school, I really, really didn't want to go clinical after school. At the, at the point I got jaded. But now in retrospect, I understand now that the reasons why I was jaded were, were more my fault yeah. than the situation. But back then, I was pretty sure I was swearing by God that I would not practice clinically. And then I left school, and I began to have an, an impression of what it was like, what it's like. I became more mature, I understood what I did, the things I did wrong. And i began to understand that um, um the world in other places is not like my medical school and all that. So the idea of practicing it was during my housemanship, I began to say that practicing is actually really fun. Right? It was really fun. Yeah. So I began to reconsider um practicing clinically, but by that time my my plans were already very non-clinical, mm-hmm. so to speak. So yeah, so and then one way or another, divine providence and then providence ordered my steps to where i am and i'm having a good time i may still practice clinically i'm not sure i'm not sure i just take it one day at a time so
1: yeah so what led you you know a medical doctor to have this interest in philosophy and theology?
0: wow that one has always been there that's always been there i can't even remember how early uh, what i can remember is that um sometime when i was in secondary school my 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 dad my dad. Okay, my dad was pregnant for my mom for a while, then he came back. So when he came back, he came back with um, some of his old books from when he was in um, his university days and all that. So he had this library, he had this shop, and he came with all these books. And then there were all kinds of books on geography, history, philosophy, especially a whole lot of philosophical books, different kinds. Um, novels a lot of ancient lot um nineteenth century novels, a lot of them were there you know so nineteenth and twentieth century novels a lot of a whole lot of nineteenth and 20th, 20th century novels were there and it was at that point that my in my interest i noticed that my my interest in all these kind of things but I found these kind of things more interesting than the average person so today I used to tell myself that if I was raised in another country where um, the basics are taken care of. I don't have to worry about family, family as such. I probably would have studied medicine. I probably, I probably would have gone into the, into the arts most likely. I would I studied on um, classics or something. Philosophy, definitely philosophy. Definitely, definitely. So,
1: yeah. I, I don't know if you know of um, this man, Ravi Zacharias. There's oh, I do. I know him Yeah, right. yeah know. there's there's this um, story of. Listrobel he 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 did same you know narrating one of his talks, um Lee Strobel's son came to him and said, "Daddy, I want to study philosophy um and <laughs> Strobel told his his son um do you know the difference between someone who studied philosophy and a large pizza <laughs> his, his his kid was like, Dad, is this like a trigger? What you don't know. He said, No, it's a serious question. He said, No, tell me. He said a large pizza can, can feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> so he, right. As he said, if if we were in a country where the basics we were taken care of, then you probably would have, you know, loved to study philosophy, but I don't think it's something really.
0: Forward. Yeah, yes, it's true actually. I, I what he said is actually on point I began to later discover that. Right? There is no country where you will not have to struggle. There's nobody. Yeah. There's no country where the basics are taken care of, except just live on welfare, which is mm-hmm. not a good look. Either way, you still have had to um, read, read something that can yeah. actually take care of your rights, actually. You're very right. So I guess then that means my life is good. I've just been the same, you know. And it's good, really, because I also think that being in a comfortable place enables me to be able to chase the things that I love to do. Uh, I've been telling people of recent. I, 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 I got that seed was planted in my heart by watching one of these PragerU videos, and yeah. I've been brooding on it, and then it became a whole thing, the whole kind of um, outlook. Mm. And um, the seed that the You video planted was the idea that um, it was the idea that people should follow their duty and bring their passions along, mm. right? Mm. Do what is imperative. To what you're obliged to do, get a good job, then take your passion along with you. Don't don't chase your passion, so to speak. Right? So you love music and you're in a place where you have to provide for your family, get a job and take your music along with you in the job, that kind of thing. And then since then I've been able to notice that even in the way God, God orders things in our lives, it makes a whole lot of sense. So this idea of chasing passion at the expense of being provided for. Right. It's, it's, not, um, it's not something that is something that should be really looked at. We are going to be giving people such advice. It's something that really needs to be looked at, so to speak. So, so, yeah.
1: So who, who do you have any um, particular favorite philosopher? Hmm. So you, you're more of, you're not really thought about that, like you read you just Yeah, I, have, I, I
0: think, no, I, I have a whole lot. I have a few. And i'm thinking that i think it still has to be william Lin craig
1: okay
0: it has to be william Lane craig i don't think i think it has to be him his logic is forceful he's great he's a great debater um he makes you feel the importance of being smart so to speak um he's he's there is the intellectual defense of Christianity and all this, right? But there's also the psychological satisfaction of knowing that you are not stupid for believing what you believe. I don't know why if that is important to everybody, but it, it used to be very important to me. So that's why I think I really liked him. Right? There's the intellectual part of being able to defend the gospel and all that. Then there's the part of being, um of, of knowing that you are not stupid for being a Christian, that for knowing that there is a lot of that, that feeling of knowing that there are a lot of smart people in, who believe what you believe who can defend what you what to believe and who are highly regarded by people that used to think christians were stupid that really 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 makes me love William Craig William Craig is the guy that sam harris will speak about and say the one that puts the fear of god in atheists right because yeah. This guy is steadily knocking them down. I mean, this guy is knocking them down like dominoes. So um, I love that, actually. I I love that. I love that. It makes makes me feel good. So so definitely William Craig. And I also love him because he's also a minister. Because one thing to be a philosopher, you can coherently defend stuff. It's another thing to be a minister of the gospel, to actually be part of ministry, teaching a local church, Teaching the doctrine of Christ to people in their local church in a very very powerful way, you know, his his um, his, um, his, um defenders classes has really really helped to put a lot of things in perspective. Growing up, I discovered that growing up in the Nigerian uh, world of faith contest context, a lot of things we believed were not um, were not absolutely right. But more more importantly, we did never we never really had to question them. We, never, we just took them for granted. We just took them for granted and just accepted them as is. Right? So yeah, um, we had a whole lot of that. But um, listening to him made me a lot, especially, especially about the doctrine of Christ, it really helped me to understand more as a minister. Help has helped me to be a better minister and all that. So, yeah, it's definitely William and Craig, followed closely by um, Ravi Zacharias. I love Ravi. He's a philosopher also, and um, I love him because his um, character is one that I aspire to. Um, his character of doing things is one that I aspire to. I'm not naturally inclined to be as patient and as wise and as thoughtful in answering, and you know, as um, kind. Tend to want to bash people through that kind of thing. So it's something I've been working on. My wife is always uh, talking about how I need to be more careful about that. So I've been working Ooh. on that. I'm sure so I'm, I'm a much better person for that. So yeah, William, um, Dr. Ravi, definitely a second um, coming in, very close second. It's definitely a close second.
1: We have this notion, especially when wait, as you said, you know, character and patience, that for you to be a man, you have to be tough in that sense so absolutely you have to be tough thank you so do you do you see it as that or you i mean do you think that part of the qualities a man should have in that sense character wise i mean when i mean tough here yeah, i don't just mean you know trying you want something then you go for it but the way you relate with people you need okay. to be tough on people in that in that sense no i i don't think
0: that is right i don't think that is right so this is my view of masculinity I believe that there is a cluster of traits that should be more, that are more predominant among, that should be more predominant in masculinity. And there's a cluster of traits that are more predominant in femininity. Um, These traits cannot be, these traits cannot be held by the same person, right? So we have to, people have to pick these traits and be more, or inclined to them differently, discreetly as individuals. I, I don't even understand what I'm saying because some of these, um, some of these traits mutually exclude each other. For example, you cannot be risk averse at the same time be someone willing to take risks. It's not possible. It cannot exist in the same person. So, if we're going to have two traits in a society where we need at certain times for people to for people to be risk averse. And at certain time for people to be willing to take risks, it means that those two traits will have to be carried by different people, one person cannot carry both traits together do you, do you get that explanation
1: yeah, if you could
0: you get that right yeah yeah okay so um so for example, for a society to, to work well let me, let me let me let me be more elaborate for a society to work well um at certain points, it is important that people in that society are willing to take risks because there are times in life where you have to take risks. But for a society to be stable, there is a, a place for people being risk-averse, where you don't just take stupid risks and ruin everything that you have built. If we break a society down to its unit, which is the individual, one human being as I am, I cannot be a person that is that loves taking risks. At the same time, be someone that is averse to taking risks. It's not possible. So I have to be someone who is either a risk-taker or someone that is averse to risk. I can't, those two traits cannot um, exist mutually at the same time. The alternative is to ask people, to, is for you to try to create human beings in such a way where they can embody both traits that are opposite of each other, but change at different points in time during the day or seasonally, which which doesn't make up, make up sense because people, people's makeup cannot change. People's makeup is not supposed to be changing from time to time if not we will not be able to trust anything we won't even have the word called character we won't have the word called temperaments we won't have any kind of unit of describing people because people people don't have any fixed behavioral traits so this is the reason why certain traits that are read that are opposites of each other that exclude each other cannot coexist in one person so if we are going to have those characters in a society we have to have different people carry these traits. So in a society, we need people that are willing to take risks so that when it's time to take risks, they can be taking it. And we need people who are also risk averse so that when it's time not to take risks, um, those people can prevent, hold them back, right? And so we have a whole lot of bunches, bunch of traits like that. Aggression and um, non-aggression, being disagreeable and being agreeable, right? Um, being um adventurous and not being adventurous um being all you know all kinds of things right so because some of these traits exclude each other and people have to have them individually so that is the framework upon which we begin to see that certain traits tend to cluster in one sex or one gender and certain kinds of traits cluster in another gender right so if God in his wisdom created us as, a, created human beings fundamentally as the two sexes, male and female, right? He created us as male and female sexes, right? Since many of these um, traits exclude each other, and usually exclude each other in a very in a binary form, we, we actually see that many of these traits are opposite in a very binary form. It's aggression, non-aggression, adventurous, non-adventurous, um, um, risk taker risk-averse. Um, 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 neurotic, not neurotic you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, what happens is that certain kind of traits are clustered in one sex and certain kinds of traits are clustered in another sex. Again, let me say for the last time, these traits cannot coexist in the same person because they exclude each other, so to speak. So, and what begins to happen naturally from that is that, okay, one of the sexes will be risk-takers, they will be adventurous, they will be more willing to be aggressive, because if you are going to be a risk-taker. You are someone that is willing to take risk. You are also someone that is more likely to be aggressive. There's no way you can be a risk-taker. And when there's time for conflict, you are less likely to enter the conflict. People who are willing to enter conflicts are people who are also risk-takers. So you see them being more aggressive. That's those group of people. who will be more aggressive. Those people will be more adventurous. Those will be be risk-takers. They'll be less neurotic. They'll be more stable. You know, that kind of thing. Then you see the other people. The other sex and gender, these people will be um, more agreeable because they, they are less likely to want to take risks. They are less adventurous. They temper down the hot head of this bunch of people. So when you look at that, by the time you want to begin to name these two um, divisions of people, that's why you begin to call them male and female. That's why you begin to call them male and female, right? So what I'm saying is that there certain traits that cluster. With males and a certain traits that cluster with females. Don't forget that. So there's a there's a continuum to it, right? It's not an absolute thing. Um, for example, you might find guys that are more agreeable, less um, more neurotic, um, less and this and all that, but that that does not the point. The point is that on the whole, what you find is that certain traits are clustered more to say certain gender than the other. So that is where the definition of what it means to be masculine or from where it means to be a man comes from and everything. Now, going to the specific example that you used. That um does um, a man need to be tough. I don't think that's what tough. Um that what I think that was tough has too many things that it can mean. So I don't think um, I don't think tough is a masculine trait. If you mean um um being willing to be aggressive as a masculine trait, right? That if that's the definition of tough that you mean, right? But if you mean the ability to be stable and unwielding and unchanging, it's actually more of a female a feminine trait. Yeah. It's actually more of a feminine trait. Even the biology of the females tends to even support the, that structure of those behavioral traits. Women, women are way steadier. They are way more balanced. They are way more generally speaking now. They are way more, they are stable. They are tough. They can stay through the hard times. They can. They are not libel and, you know, they're not labile people generally compared to men, you know, and all that. So if that's the kind of tough you mean, I mean, I would even say women tend to be tougher in that sense. Um, but if you mean things like aggression, being aggression, being willing to be aggressive, that's definitely, even our biology supports that kind of trait, so to speak. So, yeah,
1: I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah. well, do, do, you, do you think that there are traditionally um, certain rules that are peculiar to As I both of us are speaking in terms of, you know, we understand that there are just two, two genders. I mean, except if you disagree with me on that. But. I'm assuming that you believe that, you know, it's Absolutely. just male and female. So oh, do you the think, sexes. <laughs> so, do I'm you, so sure of that. Do you think that there are certain rules that are specific to them, or do you think that, yeah, you so know, it's otherwise?
0: So, culturally, people came up with rules. Uh, those rules generally evolved. People don't understand that it's only very recently that human beings had the... Um, autonomy and the freedom to be able to do and chase and worry about things that are not essentials. There was a time when there was no there was no leeway. There was no there was no chance to be worrying about useless things. Because everything was about survival. And at that point it was important for people to have roles to specialize in them and to do them effectively. And that's why I agree with Joda Peter very much that the vast vast majority of the relationship between men and women since humanity began has been more of cooperation than oppression. Because if it was all about oppression, humanity would not have succeeded and survived today. Humanity would not have succeeded. Humanity would not be here. The truth is that the the, the relationship between men and women has been more of cooperation than... um, It is because people try to look at uh, at the past with 21st century lens that they try to see, that they begin to see things as oppression, which are, not, which, which, are, which are not so, you know, so to speak. So let me not go into all that. Traditionally, people came up, so because of that, traditionally, people came up, rules naturally evolved. So even in primordial times, if as, as, as humanity as homo sapiens are developing, what they discover is that there's a bunch of us that are more, that are physically stronger, more aggressive, more willing to take risks, more willing to do that, naturally. Those guys start taking on some roles in the society and in the family. And the ones that are less, you know, that are more risk averse, the ones that are more stable, the ones that are more, um, you know, tend to be more n- n- neurotic, so to speak, you know, and all that, are uh, the ones that temper things down, right? When you use the word neurotic, I'm, I'm using it in a psychological term, not in the negative term of people that, you know, in the word neurotic can be used negative, in a negative yeah. term. What I mean it is a psychological term of neuroticism as in people who are less um, less who are who are more amenable to stress people who are more likely to be affected by stress and therefore need a more stable society a more stable um, environment so to speak right so anyway so over time because of that this these roles naturally evolved with these two genders, and that 's why the world is with way it is and you see it consistent all over the world right you see that thing consistent all over the world naturally human beings grew up grew into those roles because of necessity But now that our our challenges have been overcome and they have changed and they're not challenges of physical survival anymore and more things those traditional roles that we those traditional roles that we used to have are becoming less and less important. They are still really relevant for a vast majority of people, right? Because at the end of the day, um, it is not, it is still the minority of the jobs in the world today that are intellectual jobs. It actually struck me this week, and as well as the first question, but I was going to discuss my day if I forgot. The majority of the jobs that people still do in this world are still jobs that will still end up being predicated on the traditional gender rules. For example, the vast majority of jobs are still jobs that are physically taxing. So to speak right the things that earn money are still the things that are physically taxing um the intellectual jobs by proportion right are still the minority right we still have more people that need to work on construction sites people that are bricklayers people that are plumbers people that are this and that things that require more physical exertion. even jobs that are even jobs that are so-called intellectual which puts men and women on the same footing even though they're intellectual the physical rigors of doing the intellectual work itself tends to give, will will tend to give men the edge. Do you understand that? For example, um, men are more likely to cope with doing, as for medical doctors, they're more likely to do calls back to back. For example, um, Tomaso was giving an example where he read that women earn less than men. And then he was surprised and he went to study and did a study into medical doctors in America. And he actually found out that if you if you calculate it based on work done per hour women actually earn more and so the reason why men earn more was that men were willing to do more calls they were willing to spend longer hours at work the women were not willing to leave their children alone but the men were more willing to do that so men were doing like uh, 1.5 times the number of work hours that the women were doing and of course at the end of the day who will earn more because you are paid per hour so that's what political propagandists just look at and say men are any more than women but when you broke it down when you actually broke it down to the amount of hours done, the amount of work done per hour, it turned out that women were actually earning slightly more than men, you know, that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, right, that paradigm of men working more than women may still continue to persist until as the world evolves and our work requires less and less physical exertion and more and more intellectual work. That's when we will see more and more equality among the genders, right? So having said that, I believe that gender roles. As it is, should be a matter of necessity. I think it's one of the areas where utilitarianism can work. Gender roles should be based on practical needs, not empty traditions or ego or whatever our society has attached to being better or being inferior. I think it should be a matter of practicality, right? So we should always give people roles that they are best suited for and that they are will they will be most useful for as um things that will help our society as a whole so even at any point in time we find out that women are better suited for if, in the family unit for example if a man and a woman come together and they agree to be partners for life um, they're supposed to ask themselves things like um, who should stay at home with the kids and who should not stay at home with the kids those questions should be answered by what is best for the family not what our society tells us is, is, is what our fathers used to do you understand? So if you, if you, so in such a case, it is possible that the majority of people will still find this subject because of the way. Just like I explained earlier, people will still find that maybe, maybe many of the husbands are still the one going out to work. But that should not be absolute. If you find yourself in a family where the woman is actually more competent, or she has a job, or she has a skill where she can earn more money, and um, the man's work does not earn that much, and to pay him, if the family is supposed to work better for him to stay with the children, then he should do so. Right. If Even if you, you can say he's not naturally inclined to natural children and all that, in the case of that family, what is best for that family is what everybody should agree on. And so uh, Christian leadership would um, in, uh, adjust such a man to make sure that he makes painful adjustments to make sure that what is best for his family is what is done. Right. So, yeah. So that's my view on the whole gender roles things. It should be based on what is best for the society, what's best for the family. How it's practical and not just um, um, traditional and useless cultures of primordial, you know, all those primordial sentiments and all that. No, that's not what it should be about.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, I think there are some, not to use um, terms that are too complex for people, but there are terms like complementarianism and, you know, egalitarianism and all that, in the sense that, you know, the two genders are either to complement one another in union of marriage or in the other sense that, you know, they are, in a sense, equal, both in role and in nature. So how, how do you look at that? Do you see, are you more aligned with the complementarian part of it or the other side?
0: I, I don't even, I'm not even really studying that word itself, complementarism, okay. and um, I'm, I'm not really sure, because I'm, I'm very careful about this word nowadays, because there's all kinds of baggages with words. Yeah. So you, you are saying a word, and you think you know what the word means, but means. someone else means something else. So, um I I once saw somewhere that someone someone was not okay with the way a certain minister used um complementarism and he was not okay with it. But I've not really had time to, to study in details. And the person was complaining how that um um people were using complementarism as some kind of backdoor channel to yeah. see that men were somehow superior to women and all that. So I don't know. I don't know the whole baggage and everything. This what I just believe is this men and women are equal, mm-hmm. but they have um they have they have in terms of the family structure because I don't want to the word to be used, I don't want my words to be used for cases that it doesn't apply to. Uh let's talk about within the family units. let's yeah. talk about with the society as a whole, now talk about the family units. I believe, and I'm pretty sure, that um in the society, men and women are absolutely equal. There's no inferiority, there's no there's no superiority amongst them, between them. They are equal. They have different traits. They have different things that they are better at than each other, but they are equal. So, because they have different traits, they are better suited to certain roles. So they will find themselves naturally gravitating to certain kinds of roles within the society. However, within the family unit, the only place where there's a definition of clear roles, um, there's a kind what word do I use now? A kind of predestined role with, is within the family unit and not in society as a large within the family unit where the man the husband within the family unit is meant to provide leadership to the family unit and um, the reason why that is important and why it is right according to what christians believe god has um, um, um mandated is because the family unit the which is the basic building block of the society needs leadership right it needs constitutional leadership um, the family unit could not have been left to people to decide ad hoc uh, that everybody should decide who should be the leader of that family unit what you're going to have is chaos what you're going to have is a breakdown of the family unit there will be no family unit because people would not be able to arrive at this be complete anarchy um, leadership is something that should be agreed on it should be something that is mandated by a higher power in a democracy the higher power is the consensus of the people and so only the consensus of the people can break it down in the same way for the family units because you cannot democratically elect because it's between two people it's 50 50 and even if it was not two people right there are some things that are so important that god did not leave them to human beings to be deciding for themselves god decided that one person will take the role of leadership but even then, that rule of leadership is not the kind of leadership of the world. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, is pretty clear on this. Um, Matthew chapter, uh, what is it now? Is that number 19? It's pretty clear on this. Jesus makes it clear what Christ, what leadership, according to what he intended to be, really is, which is service, which is um, responsibility, which is taking care of people and not of the world, which... Um, um human natural evolution has made human beings to begin to think of leadership as being superior to people and being the boss of people and god demonstrates this fundamentally even in the nature of the trinity how that god the father can be the head of the trinity but yet is materially um indistinguishable and not superior so to speak to the father to the son and to the holy spirit so in christianity Um, subordination is not inferiority I, I love to say that so much in Christianity subordination is not inferiority so the role of leadership in the family unit, that the man has been tasked with tasked with is not a role of superiority over the woman rather it's a role of service and responsibility for the woman and for all the members of their family so I don't know if there's a word for that for that worldview
1: but that's what I believe so yeah I I recently read a particular um, article, giving up on God, and what the, the writer was trying to say, I think. His name is um, Ronald F. England um something of that nature. He he's, he was trying to, in a sense, show that religion is somehow declining, and you know one of the things he he pointed out to was that. People do not no longer see these traditional um, rules as not just essential, but you know, people thought that if we get rid of those things, you know, society is going to break. But when they've realized that it's not going to break, and most of these traditional rules came from religion, and so they, in a sense, discovered that they can do away with them. So, I just want to get your, your thoughts. And he did mention, you know, the idea of human rights environmental protection and all that. Do you think that in the long run, as I said, that a, a secular society can actually give a proper basis for human rights? For equality? Secular society can. This is a secular society can do what? Can give a proper basis or foundation for human rights and for equality? Hmm. And, and,
0: uh, hmm.
1: Because he, he, he said you know, that he doesn't see see i'm I'm trying to paraphrase it that he doesn't see that things will fall apart because you know according to him for centuries religion served as a force for social cohesion and you know it provided all this basis for human rights but now he believes a secular society can provide that and so he doesn't think that things will fall apart i kind of feel that he is so optimistic because no that is extremely optimistic and, and all
0: he has really put the bar very low for what mm-hmm. it means for a society to work. His mm-hmm. bar mm-hmm. is really low. Because even in the world that we're in today, we, we, we don't need to struggle so much to get examples of what the world would look like without a um, a society that is grounded in these um, our traditional values. For example, um, okay, well, I I, I, don't want, I don't want to equivocate. So I, I, I'm very, very sure. So what exactly is he talking about that if you fall apart would not affect society? Is he talking about Judeo-Christian values or those traditional values of having a family unit? Because non-Judeo-Christian cultures also have a strong family unit, sense of family unit and all that. So which one is he talking about?
1: Judeo-Christian so said, values or family values? He, he said that, you know, Every major religion, according to him, has some version of the biblical commandments: that shalt not steal," okay. "Thou shalt okay. not kill." So, okay. you know, just trying to read from from the article, say, it is understandable that religious conservatives fear that the retreat of religion will lead to social disarray, with rising corruption and crime. So, it's not just you know the Judeo-Christian worldview, as it were, but oh, religion, religion, religion generally as
0: a whole. Yeah, in that sense. Oh, oh, then he's um he's mistaken he doesn't know what religion means religion is not just christianity and islam um socialism communism can be a religion atheism is actually a religion right so that's that's funny um there's always a form of religion that um that is used to hold societies together before there was christianity there was paganism and paganism was what held the society together so there's always some form of religion that holds society together there's no way for example whether people like it or not right this radical liberalism and all the and all the things that they're doing yeah. has all the classical signs and arrangements of religion they have high priests they have um, acolytes they have enforcers they have their liturgy they have everything that religions have so the idea that religion will recede and um, no, 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 that doesn't mean anything um, for example, look at China now. Or look at um, look at Mao's China. Even today's China, they say there is no religion there. People are religious. In look at the f- example of Iceland. You know, people use the example of Iceland, Scandinavian countries, that say yeah. they're not religious. And no, what they mean is that they are not Christian. Not that they are not religious. Because if you want to go by definition of religion, which is the world's view that a person holds together, which a person believes in and holds them together, there is nobody that doesn't believe in something.
1: Yeah.
0: So, for example, in Iceland, they're extremely superstitious people. Those guys believe in goblins and gnomes. Do you know that? They actually do. You can look it up. You can actually look it up. Those guys are very superstitious people. They believe in something. They believe in a higher power. Everybody believes in something bigger than them, right? So, there is, or there will always be some form of religion. The question is, which one makes sense? Which one is the best for human flourishing? Which one is the best for human eternity? So to speak, so I do not agree with him that um religion, the re- recession of religion, mm-hmm. will potentially to lead to such. No, what just happened, what is calling the recession of religion, is recession of Christianity, mm-hmm. and the um, incoming of other kinds of religions. Secularism is a religion. Don't let anybody deceive you. Secularism is a religion, and it's in a form. It can still hold the society in a form, together in a form. The question is. What kind of society will you hold together?
1: I mean, th- that's that's that yeah. That's that's one one thing I discovered from the article in as much as he did say that you know data was collected from people, I I didn't actually see what questions people were asked to kind of critique whatever the answer is and you know his his um, deduction from it. And also he he didn't really define what he meant by religion because yeah, I, I, when they will do
0: that. They do that a lot.
1: Yeah, when people ask um, me, are you, re- are you religious? I tell them, well, everyone is religious, so they I'm religious. So it's yeah. like, we all have our gods. God.
0: <laughs> that's a, that's good. exactly, everybody has something that they bow down to. Yeah. Everybody has something that exists at the top of the hierarchy of their values. Mm. Whatever that is, is your God. Yeah. Whatever it is that all your values aspire to, is your God. Everybody needs something that holds them together. Everybody has something that holds them together. There is nobody that is truly, truly, absolutely without religion, that is not a nihilist whose life, who doesn't consider life useless. If you find anybody that truly, truly has no religion, such a person's life would be meaningless and the person would act it out accordingly, the person would act it out accordingly. Right. So yeah, I don't think uh, that is a, that is a, um, I, I don't think what the guy did, what the guy did there is just what is part of, it's just one of those symptoms of things that are plaguing the Western world. I believe it's too much comfort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean in a sense, a friend that I that actually works on my website with me I shared the article with him and one of his points was you know people have people find a different kind of security in a sense you know if if it's not God, maybe it's the fact that they are economically secure and all that and so that becomes their security and so it sort of it moves in a sense from mm-hmm. one point to another It's not that they become irreligious, it's just that they find mm-hmm. a difference. A different yeah. sense of, of security. Yeah. You're talking about talking yeah. about religion and all that. I want to get your perspective on the whole blasphemy law and you know the the musician that's. I been think, sent I, us think to, I think it's beyond okay. ridiculous. I think it's beyond ridiculous.
0: Ridiculous does not even begin to describe it. It's 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 a total travesty. Um, uh, even within the religion of Islam. I began to read a whole lot of texts, a whole lot of other texts from other scholars that insist that um, blasphemy laws don't even apply to Muslims themselves. There are others that say it applies to Muslims. I don't care. I really don't want to know. But I think the blasphemy laws are ridiculous. I believe the blasphemy laws are ridiculous. I think it's wrong. I think um, um, I think on the, on the face of it, there's nobody whose life, should be trocated who who all the possibilities of what they can do on the earth all the potential of all the things that it can make to happen on the earth will be ended because they do not believe in god the way you do it does not make sense by any standard because what it does is that it's a backdoor channel that devolves that will um, make our society devolve into some kind of survival of the fittest because at the end of the day, the person—if everybody is to live their lives like that—the only people left standing will be the strongest people.
1: And I also see that you know, in as much as not everyone sees it this way, but religion and all that revolves around it is a question of truth. Now, if we believe that there is an absolute truth, the question is how do we arrive at that? If if we think that you know okay, this is what I believe, and I believe it is true. And every other person that critiques it must die on account of that. I mean, you can't get anyone to the truth through that. I mean,
0: that is a beautiful a, perspective. That is a lovely perspective. I especially
1: especially when you're in a pluralistic society. I mean, yeah. and so the only way you can actually convince people or even fully understand what you believe is when you allow people to speak freely in a sense. Yeah, and absolutely. if we are all speaking freely, I mean, we understand each other. We, exchange ideas. We, you know, critique one another and we say, okay, yeah, this is true. This is not true. But Especially when it comes with the power of the state and all like Because I find it very confusing. Is Nigeria an Islamic state or not? And they tell me, you know, this law applies to only Muslims. Okay, it's, Even if it applies stupid, to only Muslims.
0: Stupid. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. In Nigeria, I don't even understand it. How a country can have two parallel laws. You have a secular law, and then you have Sharia law. We've been a secular state that people can abide. I'm like, what kind of country is this? I, I I please don't don't get me started on that. i am just, just going to have an aneurism or something.
1: I mean I understand I it perfectly. I tell people whenever it comes to talking about Nigeria, it becomes annoying. I mean the conversations are really pleasant.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just crazy. I I don't know. I I don't know what it's just. Oh oh, please don't don't even get me started. I I, I actually try a lot not to let my emotions about Nigeria show as much as possible in public space because um, in my life, my priority is still to try as much as possible to reconcile me to God, get me to know God and all that. And I, I'm well aware that politics is something that can really stand in the way yeah. and, you know, affect all that. So I, I try my best not to, not to be so vocal about it, you know, and all that. But really, it's, it's, I have so many thoughts, so many things that put me about this Nigeria issue. I think the blasphemy laws are just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, finally, I just want to ask your opinion on this. Um, okay. Your insight, your insight on it. A particular pastor did say last week that, you know, those who pastors in Nigeria who haven't reopened and who are still in lockdown, they are not believers. I mean, what, what do you think of such a sweeping statement? <laughs>
0: that's, 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 okay. Let me not use those kind of words. Um. I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that is well thought out because um, they are not believers how and why because because they don't believe that God will protect their people from COVID, right? So the people that have been falling sick all these days because God did not protect them or um, or. Um, I, I, I don't understand. If the person's problem with pastors not opening is because they somehow... Have abdicated the responsibility of the local church to gather people together and to take care of them, right? If that is what the person is contending with—that um, that those pastors don't believe that people need to meet and they don't see this corona period as something that's temporary—I think that is a legitimate, um, that's a leg- legitimate issue with um, um, with there's a leg- that's a legitimate objection. But saying that the fact that people are taking precautions not to open up shows that their lack of faith is that's just ridiculous um, there are so many other precautions that believers take every day their daily lives that even the people, even that critic has been taken in their daily lives are they taking those precautions because they don't have faith in god i don't think that is a well-thought-out criticism for people not opening up coronavirus no matter how you look at it has killed a lot of people and um my only objection with the coronavirus period and the hysteria is that it has not been well handled by many governments. It has been too much politicized yeah. and all that. That yeah. is that's that's the only objection I have to the coronavirus pandemic saga. Based on the but the disease itself has actually killed people. Of course, we need to take precautions. Yeah. Of course, we needed to make sure that we reduce the rate at which people fell sick, even if there was not going to be a cure or the or it was inevitable that everybody will contact at the end of the day, at the, at best, at the, at, at the very least, we should, target, should have targeted flattening the curve, reducing the rate at which people get it, so that um, our health facilities don't crumble at the same time, at the very least, you know? Yeah. So I don't think it is legitimate to somehow criticize people for taking precautions. I don't think that is sensible. I don't think that's right. So
1: I don't agree with that. I mean, I, I see it as... People, in a sense, just wanted to be it As you said, again, with the management itself, I don't blame any government because one, there are no, prior to the disease, there was no COVID-19 experts. I mean, even when people said, listen to the expert science and all that, I get it, but no one had ever encountered it or studied it. I mean, so it was obvious that there were going to be mistakes, but the problem is now politicizing it. I mean, the opposition in every country wants to use it as, I mean, it's politics you know, he mismanaged, we would have done better. I mean, I don't really think so. I just, and so it's it's probably a time for people to come together irrespective of political affiliations and say, okay, this is a disease that, you know, can take anyone from any particular party. And so let's come together and deal with it. But again, people are always divided on everything. And uh-huh. then when yeah. when this now comes into the church and I personally have my own opinion about, whole lockdown and how church should be. I have my own opinion and all that, but I would never fault any particular church for not reopening and say, hey, you guys are not believers for not reopening. I kind of, I think that is. So necessary. what are your
0: opinions? If you can just tell me briefly.
1: I mean, when it comes to the lockdown, I felt at an initial when we did understand that, okay, maybe it was affecting more of the elderly in terms of killing, I mean, the, the rate of death. I, I kind of feel economically and all that probably they should have been in lockdown where the younger and healthy people who didn't have as we're told underlying industry should continue working to keep you know, the economy going. Mm-hmm. I felt that for me that's how I could have I could that's have exactly that's exactly
0: one of my biggest issues with the handling of lockdown. And the one that really annoyed me the most was the way Nigeria just did copy and paste and just did a very stupid lockdown. Exactly. the capital of the world with a majority young population. It was just the handling was just ridiculous.
1: I mean, for just... Western nations have, in a sense, the economical capacity for a particular time to sustain their yes. people, but Nigeria
0: doesn't have that. Yes, now. It was so ridiculous. It was like bureaucrats watching CNN and deciding what they would do based on yeah. what they saw on CNN. It was, that's all. The whole COVID policy was informed by some politician somewhere watching CNN. That was all. No thinking, no, yeah. no introspection, no people sitting down to think about their own context, their own situation, our country, what kind of yeah. country do we have? And what can we do? And what do we... It's because there's no vision, right? There's no plan. It's... it's was That was my criticism of the annual COVID. <laughs> I think it was hysterical and wrong.
1: Last week I spoke with one politician um, and he he told me that one of the problems we have in Nigeria is copy and paste politics. So we want to copy democracy as it were in foreign countries and just replicate it exactly and believe it's going to work. And so it's the same thing that happened with this COVID. And I think when we don't ask ourselves, okay, we're a different society, okay, we can borrow certain ideas from them, but is this going to work for us if it's not going to work for us? We have to discard it and be practical in a sense. Thank you so much for your time. I, I yeah, yeah. Really it was, was a good time. It was, it was actually fun. I think we should, we should do this